episode 31 with Max Ada. My name is Colby Knapp, and each week I bring you a one-on-one, in-depth interview with leading experts in the field of strength and conditioning. In this practical, structured, and time-efficient podcast, it's my job to connect you with the knowledge and experience of world-class coaches so that you can learn from their stories, become a better coach, and build champions regardless of your current situation and resources. Bottom line, my listeners get serious ROI on their time spent here. Our guest today is Max Ada, owner of Max's Gym in Oakland, California, and in today's episode, you will learn in-the-trenches training and coaching advice from a 20-year vet, why Max's coaching philosophy is do it perfectly or do whatever it takes, and the importance of planning your training around a phasic structure. Max has spent the better part of 20 years in the sports of weightlifting and powerlifting, and he draws his training methodology and knowledge from the many great coaches whom he has personally worked with, including Steve Goh, Ivan Abajiev, and Boris Shiko. Max has produced over a half a dozen senior national medalists in weightlifting, multiple all-time world record holders in powerlifting, and has worked with CrossFit regional and games level competitors to develop strength and Olympic lifting technique. Max uses his extensive knowledge of training and experience to create hybrid programs for athletes that wish to compete in both weightlifting and powerlifting, or weightlifting and CrossFit simultaneously. Be sure to check him out in the Train Heroic Marketplace at marketplace.trainheroic.com. There's lots to cover in today's episode, so let's get right to it. What's going on, everybody? Coach Colby here coming at you with another episode of the Strength and Performance Podcast brought to you by TrainHeroic.com. I'm joined on the line with strength coach Max Ada. Max, how you doing, man? Doing well. Awesome. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, Max, would you mind just introducing yourself real quick and give us a, a little background? Uh, yeah. I've coached uh, Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting and been involved in both those sports for the sum of about 20 years now. And uh, I've done a little bit of coaching for CrossFit, uh, but mostly strength conditioning and entirely really weightlifting and powerlifting. So, yeah. What did you do in the CrossFit world? I taught CrossFitters to, to do weightlifting or develop general strength for them. I had a girl that I worked with for a few years, and she's done really well. Alessandra Pacelli just qualified for games again. <laughs> yeah, little known girl, right? Yeah, super, super nice girl. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Cool, man. So uh, you are one of the coaches in the Train Heroic Marketplace, um, and yeah. obviously the owner of Max's Gym in yep. California. So if you could, maybe just dive into a little bit about your two, well, three programs, actually. You got Strength Block 1 and 2, and then your Hypertrophy Block. Just off the top of my head, I'm curious, what kind of athlete is this for? So the program now is the same kind of program. It's basically the same program that we run in the gym for the lifters that they know how to do a snatch or clean and jerk. At least they know what a snatch and clean and jerk is in terms of perform it to the best of their abilities. They've probably watched some YouTube videos of lifters or they're interested in the sport of weightlifting. And the program is designed around three fundamental training blocks the like a general training a hypertrophy block a strength phase a strength block and then a realization or peaking block and each one of those blocks builds on each other to produce increases in muscular size muscular strength speed power coordination technical proficiency and then ultimately resulting in the end of the training cycle culminating at a competition or a test an evaluation Throughout the three different blocks, there's an evaluation period or time for each lifter to kind of see what their abilities are in the lifts and the snatch and the clean and jerk, and then to make PRs and progress on 
squatting strength, deadlifting strength, pressing, push pressing, those auxiliary exercises. So the program is really, really well suited to sort of like not absolute beginners, but people that are essentially past the hump of having, you know, gone into a gym and messed with a barbell. It's a lot of basic general exercises. We put a lot of content up there to help get people started understanding how we want the exercises performed. And it's geared towards that lifter, that that person that maybe is going to do a competition. They're kind of thinking about it. This is a great way to start and plan for the actual day of the meet. Awesome. And so is this, I guess, specific to Olympic lifters or could a CrossFitter use this as kind of a strength cycle to run in order to increase that? Yeah, because there's a a large proportion of general strength exercises in the program and a lot more of the volume, the total volume of training is dedicated to more strength exercises. It would work really well for a CrossFitter to do it in the off-season training for maybe you're not the strongest CrossFitter. It's great because it builds a lot of general strength in addition to also developing the Olympic lifts to a high degree. So it's a great off-season program for someone like that in addition to being you know focused for weightlifting. Awesome. So I'm curious. I mean, you said you've been in this 20 years now in some capacity. Yeah. yeah. Who were some of your major influences over your course of a development as an athlete and as a coach? Some of the biggest influences I had, one, my initial weightlifting coach when I first started, Steve Goff, he coached his son. His son held the American records in the snatch and clean and jerk in total in the what would be considered the 94-kilogram class now, and he was an Olympian, 96 Olympics. He influenced me a tremendous amount, but I also had a really good chance to work with the Bulgarian national coach for a while. They both use very similar training systems, and they both really helped me to form a lot of ideas that I did like and a lot of ideas I didn't like about training. And then more importantly, on top of that, I work with Boris Shako, who's a Russian powerlifting coach, and you know some more American guys like Chad Wesley-Smith, James Smith, and then Ed Cohen from powerlifting. Those guys all helped to form a lot of the ideas I had. But mostly like you take some stuff from one guy, you, you see how you like it, you see how it applies to you or your lifters, and you discard the stuff that doesn't work. A lot of stuff, you know, I was coached by people, they were very dogmatic. It's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. For me, that, that worked to a point, and then I found that it became so rigid that if I needed to do something different, I was kind of in a bad place. So, you know, learning that there's a lot to take away from people and also a lot to eliminate from their toolbox that you're going to put into your own. What are some of the, um, I guess, principles or methodologies that you've kind of latched onto and uh, they've made their way into your programming? Well, you know, initially when I started training and I think the kind of, there's a good analogy here, powerlifting versus weightlifting, right? Or sports training versus weightlifting or really Two different things here. You're you're talking about, imagine the difference between baking something and cooking something. It's the same, but it's not. Yeah. Well, when you're baking, there's a recipe, right? Mm -hmm. And that recipe is exact. And you don't mess with the recipe. Because if you do, it's going to come out all messed up. (laughs) When you're cooking, it's kind of an art. There's obviously some things that have to be the same. You're going to turn the stove up. You're going to have heat. You're going to have oil. You're going to have seasoning, right? But the way you do it and the different types of things you add in, there's there's a lot that goes into it. So there's much more of an art to cooking, right? Cooking a steak versus baking cupcakes. So a lot of what I learned when I was young, people would coach and they trained me in systems that were too much 
they were too much to one side or the other. It's too much art. There's too much of this winging it from day to day to day and sort of just making stuff up and sort of creating things just because they're sort of fun or because you think it's a good idea or you're chasing after something that's kind of unnecessary. The other side of that coin later on in my career when I've met other people was the baking aspect where the program was too rigid and there's too much absolutes in that program, right? They refuse to have any sort of sense of maybe there's some art to this. And as a good coach, you have to be able to discern those different aspects of what's really necessary now or what can we manipulate a little bit. And so I've taken in my program, the methodologies, I've taken a lot of those things to be the same or I've taken them and used them where they fit and where they don't fit. So for example, like a lot of the strength training that goes into the program is very methodical and very grounded in scientific principles. You do this many reps, you do this kind of training, you deload this many weeks, et cetera, et cetera. It's very structured and rigid because that works well for that. For the Olympic lifting portion where the technical aspect is so much higher, the training isn't always guaranteed that you're going to be able to do 85% for five sets of two to this day or 90% for five sets of one or, or whatever it is. You don't know that. Or maybe it's a day where you're supposed to do 65% and for whatever reason, you feel fantastic. Why not strike while the iron's hot? So in that regard, there's a lot more leeway given. And the programs are written in that way where, where things give, uh, there's control and there's a methodology behind it. But at the same time, there's an open-endedness that allows people to adapt the program to themselves for each day. Right. So why is it? I, you know, I'm not nearly familiar enough in the uh, sport of Olympic lifting to understand mm -hmm. why some days you're on, some days you're off. I know that with powerlifting, more or less, or just general strength training, five by two at 90%, yeah. you could probably get most of the time. But is it in Olympic lifting because it's so highly technical at that load? I don't think it's the technique as much as understanding. Have you, uh, you ever played sports? Yes, I'm a rugby athlete. Perfect. So are you always able to throw the ball the same way or run the same way every day? No. No, right? It doesn't mean that it's, it's a finite quality that you have every time. It's just that weightlifting is a lot more... I think people confuse weightlifting and powerlifting as being very similar. And they're actually probably more dissimilar than like weightlifting and shot put, Interesting. right? Because when you're throwing an object, and that's essentially what you're doing in weightlifting. I know that's not technically the correct concept, but the idea is the same. You're throwing an object, you know, you're exploding and throwing an object through space and moving your body simultaneously. In powerlifting, you're literally just trying to generate force. There's mm -hmm. only one quality. If you can overcome the load with more force, you'll be successful in powerlifting. It's a very simple, very straightforward sport. And so because of the aspect of weightlifting being much more of a throwing than fitting into that category more, you can start to see how it becomes an on and off thing. You know, you might be a little bit fatigued and so your timing is off. And because your timing is off, it has a drastic impact on how much force you can generate or how well you're able to move under the barbell. There's a ballistic nature to it, right? Some days you're just dragging. You're just sluggish. You mm -hmm. can't get going. It doesn't matter if you feel like shit. You can probably still come in and do five sets of five on your squat, right? Right. right you're right, probably right. going to – you might be too heavy, but you're just going to gut it out. You'll figure it out, right? Right. And so the aspects of weightlifting like that are very much more of a feel by feel by sense as you train. I hate to ask you this question, but would you consider yourself a powerlifting coach or a weightlifting coach? Well, I've coached people in weightlifting to national records, master's world records, and probably half a dozen national uh, medals. And in powerlifting, I've coached people to 
all-time world records, meaning regardless of federation, the absolute highest record you can achieve. So I would consider myself pretty even on both. That's, that's uh, a pretty good track record. Uh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm just an awesome coach is what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> well, I think, I think a lot of it is that if you're a good coach, coaching powerlifting should be a very straightforward process for you. Because if you understand the scientific principles of training, powerlifting is a, is a very straightforward. So the understanding the concepts is very easy. In addition to that, though, you have to have participated in the sport to be a good coach. I think it's a myth, the idea that people can be great coaches without having participated. There certainly are people, definitely coaches that have. But for all intents and purposes, if you didn't participate in the sport on some level, you're going to miss out on a lot of those intricacies and the finer details of coaching, right? The art of coaching. That hands-on uh, learning experience. Yeah, exactly. How it feels to lift a weight. It'd be hard for me to coach someone in rugby, even if I understood everything about it, if I haven't played it. Sure. So yeah, I would consider myself pretty even on both. I mean, I could competently take somebody from the beginning of their career either way to the, the highest point they're going to get. Can you share an example of a goal that you failed to achieve either personally, professionally, training, coaching, whatever, and what you learned from that experience? You know, when I was a lifter, I made huge mistakes. I was so dogmatic and I was dogmatic in the sense that I was going to do whatever my coach told me and I was going to do the program exactly as it was because it was what the coach asked for. Despite after years of training, kind of knowing, hey, I need to do something different. I know intrinsically there's something better to fix these weaknesses I have or to fix this issue and not doing it. And then going to competition and bombing out and missing all my attempts because you know my I didn't work on those things I know I should have worked on. And a lot of that experience, that happened many times, but uh, that experience is really good for me because it, it taught me a lot about knowing that every single person is individual and they need aspects in their training that allow them to customize and individualize their training process for them. If your back is weak and you just keep training your legs and you never work on your back, your back's always going to be weak. Things right. don't just go away. As much as you hope and will for something to change, if you don't actually change it, it's still going to be there. And, you know, I, I realized that, you know, having failed to, to really step back and adjust what I needed to adjust, it cost me a ton of time and a ton of energy having wasted that. Speaking of coaching, what do you think has been the biggest highlight of your career thus far? Hmm. You know, there's been a bunch. I mean, there's a, a bunch of great experiences. I mean, coaching some of my lifters to, to break all-time records was fantastic. Uh, I coached my wife to break an all-time world record in powerlifting, and that was a really awesome experience. because Because cool. it was kind of one of those times where she didn't really know she was going to do it. She didn't know it at all, and I kind of tricked her into it through changing numbers and this and that and sort of like planning in my head but not letting her on in the plan. Um, you <laughs> know, that Jedi was, mind tricks. Yeah, it was a great experience for me because I was it was you know the first time I really coached someone to that level to watch that succeed was really cool. But there's been so many good times. I mean, so many highlights. I mean, having people win medals at national championships, people breaking masters world records, taking people from really the highlights have always been taking people from where they were and getting them to exceed what they conceived they could do. That's always been like my favorite thing. When they think I, you know, the limit is here and we break beyond that and keep going, that's really like the highlight for me, I think. 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's the the selfless part of coaching, right? Financially, sometimes it's tough, but I guess emotionally, the, the rewards are vast. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So if you had to sum up your coaching philosophy in one sentence, what would it be? I would say my coaching philosophy is <laughs> do it perfectly or do whatever it takes in that order. Do it perfectly or do whatever it takes. Let's dive into that. Can you give me an example of what you mean there? Well, there's a sense that you're going to try and achieve the best you can and do things as perfectly as possible. But sometimes in training, just like in life, like anything, what you want to work a certain way, maybe just doesn't work that way. And in that case, you have to do whatever it takes to make it work, right? You have to do what it takes to get better. An example would be like, you've written out the perfect program, right? You wrote the the greatest program in the world and halfway through everyone in your gym is just doing terrible and no one's getting better. And that's the moment where you, you know, you tried to do it perfectly, but now it's time to do the things that are going to make people better, right? And Mm -hmm. make adjustments and hold yourself back and go outside the box to change those things. Awesome. So if you were to have like, maybe let's talk, shift gears a little bit, talk strictly general strength training, regardless of athlete, regardless of sport. Yep. Do you have a certain philosophy or approach that you've kind of melded over the years? My approach is definitely grounded in just the scientific principles of, of training. I mean, you have to take into account stress management, the fatigue that's generated from workouts. You write a program that has a structure and a periodization to it. The general philosophy should fall in line with what has been proven to work, right? If your program looks radically different than successful programs, something may be off there. Mm-hmm. Because if it was if it was something that was very common, people did it, you'd probably be on the same page, right? Right. There's a reason that weightlifters all do snatches and clean and jerks in training. Totally. <laughs> but if you don't do those things, you're not going to get to that level, right? So, you know, the philosophy is, is grounded in the scientific principles that govern training properly. And there's a lot of them, but you know. So the majority of my audience are CrossFit coaches or just traditional strength and conditioning coaches. Would you mind maybe just kind of glossing over some of those, I guess, basic things? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, there has to be like a phasic structure to your training, which means that the training is organized in a way, which is periodization. It's organized in a way that allows you to train the correct motor qualities or different motor qualities at different times, or basically train the right things at the right time. If you have a program that has high volume squats two weeks before your competition, it's probably not great. It doesn't fall in line with those principles of phasic structure, right? Right. You're not doing the things at the same time or the right time to be doing them. The second principle would be like specificity. The program has to mimic the sport form. So if you're training for a marathon, your training should look different than if you're training for a powerlifting meet. If you're training for weightlifting, it should look different than if you're training for CrossFit. Some of those aspects might be similar, but first and foremost, this principle of specificity has to apply. Your training should look like your sport on some level, right? And the further out from the sport you get, the more different it can be, but the closer you get to the actual sport or the actual competition, the closer your training should look. And then the other aspects would be fatigue management. How much fatigue are you generating during different training days and training sessions? And how much are you recovering between those sessions? How much progress is being made in those different microcycles? And then fatigue management in terms of monthly training. 
Do you train every single week very, very hard and never take any time to rest, never take any time to recover? The stimulus adaptation cycle doesn't take place. You just constantly train yourself harder and harder and harder. Uh, without an actual reprieve from the training, your body doesn't have a chance to adapt or make adaptations to the load. Right. So those are the three like most basic, most fundamental aspects to the training process. How do you account for or manage fatigue management? You know what I mean? Like, is it as a coach, are you just seeing a one-on-one individual basis like so-and-so's really slow and tired today and you notice that a few days in a row, maybe it's time to back off or what's your approach there? The best answer is with the strength training, with the knowledge we have about training for a sport, let's say, I can tell how much work an athlete can tolerate based on their level of qualification as an athlete. So right off the bat, day one, you come into the gym, your qualification level is zero. So I know right off the bat, you're not going to be able to tolerate the same workouts as a person who's six months after, six months before the Olympic Games, mm-hmm. right? His qualification is far higher than yours. So from someone's qualification, we can develop the basic structure of the program. If you're a intermediate, low-level novice person, your volume is going to be lower than somebody who's an advanced level athlete. That allows us to gauge how much training should take place in order for you to make progress. And then when we know how much training you need to do, we can adjust and plan that training out into different training blocks and a lot for the right amount of recovery time for that training. So for an example, you had a beginner come in and they came in and they're going to squat once a week then we've adjusted that once a week training to account for the fact that you're not, you don't need to train three or four times a week to get better. And so there's more recovery built in. And as you progress, you might squat three times, four times a week until the point where you're able to tolerate that kind of training and need less recovery time. Or the recovery time is maybe put in different places that make sense according to the amount of times you're training. Does that make sense? Totally. I like that. So, I mean, essentially what I'm hearing is based on, I guess, the individual athlete's quote-unquote fitness, for lack of a better term, right? No, exactly. Um, Perfect term. You're going to adjust the volume, the loading, frequency based upon that. And I guess to sum up then, trying to find the minimum effective dose in order to get a response and then continue building upon that. Right. And there's actually, there's a concept that some of the people that I really find to be sort of peers of mine, but just excellent in in the realm of sports science And that concept is the maximum recoverable volume. So once you get an athlete to the point that they're doing the most possible work they can do while still recovering and making progress, you've hit the mark on what your goal is training volume wise, right? right? We we want to achieve, we want to do the most possible work we can recover from because that allows us to do the most possible training, which allows us to make the most possible gains in both physical gains, muscular size, muscular strength, and technical skills, right? The learning how to do the movements properly and replicating the sport properly. So you're starting at low points and building towards high points, right? The program should always be growing as the athlete is growing. I think a lot of people don't make the connection between results being dictated by your training and your results are not connected in terms of do I do more training to get better results or do I do the same program and hope it makes the same results every time? Is there a way to quantify that? 
Well, you know, in weightlifting, it's pretty easy because you can look at the qualification of a lifter. If your weightlifting total is 250 kilograms and you're 94 kilos, you can look and find classification of what that is, right? That's like a class two athlete or whatever. And if you know that you're a class two athlete, you know that you're probably an optimal range to train in is something like, you know, 1,200 repetitions a month. If you're doing a 400 kilo total, and you're a 94 kilo guy, you're probably the highest qualification of lifter. And so you can, you can understand that you can find that information at, at some point, but you probably have built it over time. Mm-hmm. Right. Most people don't vary that much. I think there's, there's an individualization to everybody, but most people are not varying. It's not like one guy comes in and he can tolerate 50,000 repetitions a year. And another guy comes in the same qualification and can only tolerate 1,000. Right. They're going to be within a certain percentage of each other. So it's not dramatic day to day that you would see. If one guy does an extra 20 sets a month, and that's an average of, say, an extra 60 or 100 reps a month, that's 1,200 more reps a month than the other guy. Mm-hmm. But that's not a huge difference when you talk about 10,000 reps in a year or 20,000 reps in a year. But understanding that that's, that is a difference, and that can be accounted for day to day in building someone up. So, so kind of using that same framework, is it possible to kind of make assumptions based upon, I guess, the traditional big three, bench press, yeah. back squat, deadlift? Yeah. You can take an athlete. If someone comes in, they're bench pressing 350 pounds. You have an idea of what their work capacity is, what they, you know, what they can tolerate, et cetera, et cetera. If someone comes in bench pressing 350 pounds and they weigh 120 pounds, they've probably had to work a lot harder to get there, right? So they've probably been training a long time. They're going to have a higher level of trainedness, right? Mm-hmm. You can take all three of those lifts and look at someone's general strength and make an accurate assessment of their abilities to tolerate work and start from there. That's one of those things where you do it perfectly, but you know it doesn't mean that because you guessed this much that right. that's right. That's when the art of coaching comes in. Exactly. Yeah. You have to stop and say, okay, we saw this. Now let's actually see what really is going to work here. Right. So you are working now as the, is it the head coach at Juggernaut? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Wrap on that for a little bit. Maybe for those who are unfamiliar, tell us about Juggernaut and then your role over there. Yeah. I'm the head weightlifting coach, powerlifting coach at the actual physical gym in Orange County. And right now I'm just working on building a weightlifting and powerlifting teams up and trying to get some of the regular local people around here excited about weightlifting and start to build a bigger community of it here. And we're going to host some competitions, build up a big team, hopefully have a chance to do something with that team at one of the national meets coming up, like American Open or something. And just kind of running that stuff, running the physical day-to-day gym coaching atmosphere here. Right. Cool. Has that been... uh quite a change for you stepping into that role or uh yeah it's you know it's what i was doing in oakland in in my gym a same kind of thing but i've kind of stepped slightly outside of the coaching absolutely hands-on day-to-day 24 hours a day thing to being a little more of a director and actually setting up the train heroic stuff has kind of helped me do that having a program available to people, having a program that's centralized and in an accessible way for people has given me more of a director's role. I can adjust the program for a large group of people. I can have them log in, check their stuff, track their workouts, those kind of things. 
rather than me sitting there, you know, kind of trying to do that for 20 different people at one time. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a scalable approach, right? Right. Absolutely. So Absolutely. shifting gears here back to uh, general strength yeah. training, what are some common mistakes or pitfalls you're seeing coaches make when they're working with athletes who want to get stronger? In terms of general strength, I don't think a lot of coaches take the time to analyze the training programs they're writing. I think there's a lot of people kind of making programs up or picking stuff from one place or another without really making a, a firm analysis of what that program is, what it's going to achieve. They kind of piece things together and put together sort of a mishmash of stuff. And the same kind of thing with technique and the technique of the exercises. There's a tremendous amount of information on the internet regarding all of this stuff. And if you're inexperienced or you're new, you have a difficult time sorting through the good and the bad. It can be really easy to get caught up on some something that sounds fantastic, but in reality doesn't pan out. They may piece together parts of programs that sound great, like, oh, I saw this guy's doing squats like this and he does this many sets and reps or this way and I'm going to do some of that. Then I'm going to take some other program and combine it to make something else. There's not a, a good understanding of the fundamental aspects of training so that they can realize that a lot of the stuff they're doing is maybe not necessary or not done at the correct times mm -hmm. or just sort of misplaced. One thing I see a lot in the CrossFit world is um, here coach is talking about we're going to run a five through one cycle, but on Tuesday yeah. we're going to do dynamic squats yep, yep. and on Thursday we're going to do yeah. Olympic lifting oh. only and you know yeah. all this other stuff. So you mentioned earlier one of the mistakes there was coaches not taking the time to analyze the program that they've written. What do you mean by that? Like, could you maybe take well, us through how you would analyze a program? They might write a training program and then look at it or write the training program and then apply it to people. And then if it works or it doesn't work, they might move on from that and start the whole process again. Rather than writing the training program, executing the program, taking the program apart, analyzing what aspects were good, what were bad, what results did it produce? You know, there's no real like how many coaches keep track of the athlete's progress they make day to day, week to week, month to month, cycle to cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard enough. Most athletes barely ever keep a training journal. Right. Uh, yeah, we devote all this energy and all this time. Yeah. Isn't that right. funny? <laughs> it is very, it's hilarious. I never understood that. Like there's so, no analysis, yeah. right? So irrational. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the, same, the same thing, you know, it's like if coaches can look at, okay, this training cycle was effective because I can show with data, look, 15, 20% of the people that did this made progress, whereas this other program, 90% of the people made progress. And they all had the same result. They all made progress in the same way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. You know, that's actually, I mean, Trainer Oak does help with that too, another plug. But uh, yeah, awesome. you, can, you can analyze. Just for the record, I did not ask for any of these. This, right, right. This is great. <laughs> you can analyze and see a lot of those details, right? What's happening here, what's happening there. Any system that allows you to see more data and see more of an overall picture, like where are people going, what's happening to them, allows you as a coach to make adjustments. Because you could write a program and it could be it could be a great program, but it could fall flat in its face because there were cer certain parts that needed to be changed. Or maybe it wasn't correct for the certain population. Mm -hmm. It seems funny, but I think people make simple mistakes many times and they think that it's a very complex problem. Mm -hmm. If you make the same mistake over and over and over again, and you think that you think that this is working or that's working, and you're fixated on that, you get stuck and you miss the details. You miss the actual data 
It's like not being able to see the forest from the trees, right? Mm-hmm. So speaking of data, I guess prior to Train Heroic, what were you doing to track athletes' logs? Well, I would have people write write their workouts out in journals. I requested they did. Most of the time, people wouldn't. And a lot of times, what would happen is at the end of training cycles, my wife and I would sit down and kind of do like a an analysis of who made progress, how did the training cycle go, what did they need, what did they not need. She was a huge part in that too because she has a great eye and it's an objective eye, right? I'm writing the program. I'm coaching people to do a certain thing and I'm saying, hey, it's working great because I'm a great coach. (laughs) And then finding out, oh, hey, okay, maybe yeah, they needed to do more power snatches. They weren't moving faster or whatever is wrong. She was great about saying, hey, look, everyone in the gym looks like they have this same flaw that's popping up because they're doing this thing because of this thing and that thing. So we change it and then run it again. I love seeing Uh, that kind of using data to inform your decisions as a coach. And then that's quote unquote, the science, I guess. Right. But then translating that just through experience and hands-on experience, essentially into the art of coaching. Like that is, that is perfect. I love that so much. Thanks. Yeah. That's pretty rad. I guess one of my favorite parts of trying heroic is the reporting essentially where you can just sit down and with a few clicks, run a report on the entire training cycle, see start to finish who progressed, who didn't right there in front of your face and then make your decisions based upon that. So what advice can you offer to the coaches listening in terms of getting their athletes stronger? Maybe some just general coaching or programming advice. I would say you need, if you want to get stronger, you need to focus on both the hypertrophic gains you can make muscularly and the neurological gains you can make uh, from heavy strength training Mm -hmm. and intersperse those in a way that allows you to have a sustainable system, right? So some basic system, basic things would be you got to do more higher volume training and you have to do some very heavy training and find the basic structure that allows you to do that. If you do the same thing over and over and over again, you're not going to get the same results from it every time. Mm -hmm. If there's no phasic structure, you're not taking advantage of the potentiation you get from switching from one phase to another. Uh, When you say potentiation, what do you mean? So if you start a training cycle, let's say you do a training block and the hypertrophy block of that strength training cycle, you're doing sets of 10 or sets of eight. And let's say you finish that training cycle, your best set of eight is, let's say, 100 kilos. You then go from that block of high volume hypertrophic training into a block of heavier weights with lower volume. There's a potentiating effect where the reduction in volume is easier, right? And allows you to intensify the load. Mm -hmm. So you can go from doing sets of eight with 100 kilos to doing sets of five with 110, right? And it allows you to manage fatigue. It makes sense. Whereas if you just tried to do sets of eight for 12 weeks, at the end of that 12 weeks, you're not going to hit a PR set of eight. Right. I guarantee it. You're just so fried Um, that... Right. You're just, you've worn yourself out. But if you change phases and the phases change from different, you know, they undulate from different motor qualities being trained, you'll get a potentiating effect from those changes and that produces much greater results. So two questions here. I'm going to hold the second one for a second. When you say motor qualities, what are you talking about? Like strength or speed or explosive strength. Gotcha. Those motor qualities. Awesome. Okay. Just, just so we're all on the same yeah. page. And then as far as deloading, what are some guidelines that we should be following when we're riding a deload week, two weeks, whatever? So a deload would be a week or a period of training that follows or precedes very heavy training. So the easiest way to quantify it is a deload week 
is a week in which no progress, the training load is so small or is small enough that no progress could be made from doing it, right? No gains. It's not, it's not a big enough stressor as a week to elicit adaptations from the body. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right? So, so the loading That's, is very the loading low. Is, yes. The loading is so low that it won't elicit gains. It won't elicit a response for your body to have to adapt to. And gotcha. the reason for that is that it needs to be low enough that your body has ample resource to recuperate and make the adaptations from the training previous. Gotcha. People deload or they talk about deloads and, they, and they're still training really heavy and they're pushing hard then it's not technically a deload, right? It's right. just slightly less training than they did before. So a true deload is, is a point in which, you know, you won't, you couldn't make gains from it because the training effect would be so small that your body has no adaptation to it. Would that include volume also? Would the volume need yes. to be low the enough primary, to where? Yep. Okay. The primary, the primary thing you reduce in a deload is volume. Okay. So a basic guideline would be you probably reduce the training volume by about close to 30, maybe 40 or 50%. Once you pass the threshold of not having an effect on not generating adaptations, it doesn't really matter how much lower you go. Mm -hmm. You really can't go, you're not, you can't do too little on a deload, right? Uh, you could literally do nothing. That wouldn't be optimal because you probably want to still move around, but you could do for all intents and purposes, almost no training all the way up to the point at which the training would be significant enough to create an adaptation or to a stimulus for your body to respond to. And so uh, you mentioned that this should be used prior to or following yes. heavy cycles. Following the peak of the loading for whatever training cycle you're doing or prior to the peak of loading. So if you're going to load, if you have a four-week training block and week one is, let's just use numbers and say the volume of week one is 100, the volume of week two is 150, and the volume of week three is 300, week three would be the highest point of training and would be the largest training load there is in that cycle. So week four would become your deload, and then week four would be a reduction of about 30 to 50%, so it would be about 100 reps mm -hmm. or whatever from there. Those numbers probably skew it a lot more. They would probably be closer to like 75 reps, really, mm -hmm. because you know those are small numbers. Or you'd have a situation where, let's say, the reverse, where week number one is the deload, or let's say you did a training cycle that's really, really hard, and you just did a meet. And the intensity and the stress from that meet, from a powerlifting meet, is the peak of the training cycle. It's the heaviest weights, right? The week following that meet would be a deload, but that deload would technically be going into the next training cycle, right? Is that an appropriate time um, maybe to introduce new movements for the upcoming cycles? or? Yes, it's a great time to introduce new exercises, not immediately in the deload, probably towards the end of the week or the end of the actual deload period would be the time to incorporate new exercises just for the skill aspect. But it depends how long your training cycle is. If you have a very short training cycle, you might want to incorporate in the deload. If you have a very long training cycle, it may not be necessary because right. it might come stagnating towards the end because you've done the exercise for seven or eight weeks now. You were, whereas you could just kind of extend the progression out over six right. weeks versus four weeks. So thus you get right. many more reps with the movement yep. in the early weeks. Okay. It's even lighter. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. What are your uh, favorite or like go-to resources as far as, uh, I guess, just, you know, stick on the topic uh, strength training here? 
if I, I mean, a plug for Juggernaut, but I mean, uh, JTSStrength.com is probably the single greatest collection of knowledge and training. Hands down, the best place to go. Absolutely. Chad Smith's done an amazing job collecting really educated people, but also very successful people. Not all of them are formally educated, but a lot of, but everyone on there is very knowledgeable and is very, very good at what they do. So their information is excellent. And on top of that, there's a lot of great textbooks. The textbooks are probably a lot older. They're probably a lot less like, you know, not always pertinent to new information now, but I, I would start there. I would, the places I would stay away from would be the popular websites. <laughs> fitness. Popular, yeah, right. <laughs> men's fitness and, and crap like that, where there's just nothing really good coming from that. I, I think for the most part, most people understand that stuff now is not a great place to get information. Right. I think it's the amateur world now where people come around and they, they've really not done anything or had anything or had any success. They're just kind of famous for being famous mm-hmm. that are sharing training knowledge because they're popular and it makes them more popular, but their information isn't necessarily good. Absolutely. I, I had a no. podcast earlier today we're talking about uh, we're talking about supplements and there's one company in particular I'm not even going to give them the benefit of mentioning yeah. the name but how their biggest reps were just like your ideal physique model right like people see right. them and they're like oh my gosh if I buy this supplement I'll look like them yeah the information is just garbage you know for anybody yeah. who who has worked with a coach for even a month you'll know that uh, like yeah. what is this idiot so that is the fitness industry, I guess, huh? It is, yeah. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You and I both. It was that man. company. I don't know what the company was. I don't remember the name, but they were, all the guys were like photoshopping their. Oh, that's the one. It was oh. it was shreds. I'll mention shreds. It. It okay, shreds. Yeah, shreds. Yeah, it was the yeah. same exact. You 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 hit it on the head, man. It was. Yeah, uh, that's just terrible. If you have to, I mean, I granted, like, yeah, granted, everyone's trying to build their name up, right? So mm-hmm. you're not going to talk about yourself in a mediocre sense, like, oh, I'm not a very good coach, <laughs> or, you know. But, you know, you talk yourself up and you advertise well because you got to put your image out there and you want people to believe that you think you're good at what you do at least. But when you have to like fake it and completely lie about it, you're just scamming people at that point. Right. And it's just like crosses so lines. I remember coming out of high school, early college, like the muscle media, like the bodybuilding yeah. magazines was where I would get all the new latest and greatest. But I wish I would have had a coach to say, no, you just need to squat. You need a deadlift, yeah. you need to press, do some Olympic lifting and just add weight to the bar every time. And, um, exactly. you know, that would have been, it's so simple, so unsexy, yet it is the most effective way for beginners. So yeah. I can relate to having, digging into yeah. the, the, the crap media that is. So well, we are uh, pushing up against the hour here. Mr. Max, would you let my audience know best way to get in touch with you? If you want to get in touch with me, you can message me on Facebook, Max Ada. I'm on Instagram at Max underscore Ada or at Max's gym. Or you can email me max at jtsstrength.com. If you're interested in remote coaching or you want to get on the same program as our lifters, you can go to Train Heroic, obviously. You probably know that. And you can shoot me a message somewhere, or if you have questions, feel free to ask. Awesome. And that last name is spelled A-I-T-A. Yep. Max Ada. All right, dude. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. All right, guys, that will do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was a real pleasure getting to connect with Max and take some of his wisdom into my coaching, into my practice, and hopefully you do the same. Uh, Before we wrap things up today, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Train Heroic, where we enable coaches and athletes to be their best. Our tools and resources are leveraged by hundreds of thousands of athletes and the top coaches in the game. 
our software powers the practice of 2016 Strength Coach of the Year, Ron McKeefrey, and also the 2016 NBA champion, Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, their strength director, Derek Millinder, is using our platform. Uh, Dave Spitz, coach of five national champions and three NFL combine records at his gym, California Strength, and thousands of CrossFit high school and college coaches around the world. So the long and short of it, if you're serious about squeezing every last ounce of potential out of your performance, we are serious about serving you. Head over to trainheroic.com, sign up for your free 14-day trial. That's trainheroic.com to sign up for your free 14-day trial. See you guys next week.